This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This is our Tuesday morning Bible study as we begin today on the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 32. Uh, just to kind of give you some heads up uh, as to where we have been and where we're going. So the Gospel of Matthew, uh, as we've kind of established, Dr. Carter has established that the Gospel of Matthew is designed to create, for lack of a better phrase, Jesus as the new emperor as God has created a new empire. So all of these things are going to go away, and we're now getting rid of Rome, for lack of a better phrase, and God's empire is going to take over. With that being said, as Jesus is becoming this uh, imperial person, like he speaks and life happens and people follow, and, and there's this, this imagery that's taking place in the first century that they understand what happens is, is by the time we get to chapter 25, Dr. Carter calls it his fifth teaching discourse, which is the final establishment of God's empire. And he's going to do it with parables. He's going to do it with um, uh, a really harsh judgment here in a little bit where he kind of plays the judge, ruler, and executioner of, of all of things, the nations and things. And then we get to chapter 26, which begins the passion narrative. Um, and Matthew's passion narrative is, is unique because if, if we're trying to create Jesus as a new emperor, he's got to still die like a human. Um, and, and, I, and I'm going to say this because this, this gets confusing. Um, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we always refer to them academically as the synoptics. These are the, the short phrase, the synopsis of Jesus' birth, life, and death, and resurrection. These stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are designed specifically that in different um, audiences. Matthew's audience is um, obviously has a strong Roman influence, but is obviously written by a Jewish uh, scholar who understands Torah, who understands how these things are written. Mark is written, obviously, in a Jewish idea under a Roman influence, but more of uh, this is how it happened, this is why it happened, and this is why you should listen. And because we're still not getting it, we run away and hide. Like that's the end of the Gospel of Mark until we find the second ending where he ties it all in equal, though, later on, centuries later, after the Gospel of Mark was written. Luke. The, the goal for Luke is uh, is a persuasion. It's a it's an academic argument. It's written as an academic paper. This is the, the Jesus, you know, Theophilus, my friend Theophilus. He said at the beginning, Theophilus, this is why I'm writing this to you. So I'm gonna I'm arguing academically that this guy really could be the Messiah, the Jesus that we we've been talking about. Obviously, in some sort of discussion. The problem with this is, is that we've all grown up to think that they're all the same. All, all four Gospels say the same thing. They're written at the same time by the same people. Well, that, that doesn't work. So when I say that the passion narrative is important, it's that what Matthew is going to do <clears throat> is, is he's going to take all of the things that we know of the, the Messiah that's foretold in the Hebrew Bible and make that come to fruition. At the same time, diminish all of Rome's power by Jesus being divine. That's why I'm making a big deal out of this. The divinity of Jesus is in question between Matthew, Mark, and Luke on how that works. John, by the time we get to the Gospel of John, there's an obvious, defined understanding of a triune or a trinitarian understanding of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are still struggling with this idea uh, because they're still Jewish. They're still trying to figure out how does Holy Spirit work? Can God be Son and Father at the same time? Um, Matthew struggles with this a lot, but not in a bad way. And I, when I say struggle, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that they haven't fully thought it out, right? Like this, this is still new to them. They're still coming up with these ideas. Just dealing with Jesus as God. Right. It's such a major thinking for them to even to add on top of that for Holy Spirit it's like 
it's an extra even more you know, that's right you're bringing that that ball. and so what then what ends up happening is is that we know that the gospel of john was written much later because obviously the discussions have been taking place over a period of time that they say well here's what the holy spirit is like they never actually say it now this is a big deal because the problem with the new testament is, is then you've got paul who has a very clear understanding of what the holy spirit is but the gospel writers don't so there's this, it's a really interesting dialogue, but the struggle that we'll have as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew as we get to the end is, is this, well, but the Holy Spirit does. But the Holy Spirit, yes, you're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with that. But Matthew struggles with this because he hasn't thought about it yet. There's no formulated process. Just as, uh, as Ted was saying, just this idea that Jesus could be God or could be the son of God or the language son of man um, is a struggle for them. This is this is a big deal. And at the end of the gospel, not only does he do all of those things, he's now going to replace the emperor. Like this, this is huge. Like how, how does one do that? Um, so I'm saying this to you because we're so used to looking at the scripture and just kind of reading over it, going, oh, well, in that this week. Well, yeah, but think of the first century going um he's going to do what and why is he judging all of the nations and and why is he telling us this parable of, of this and that and and am i really that bad of a human being that this is going to happen you know like and he's not judging them he's judging the empires that are against god that's that's why i'm making a big deal of it so i'm saying that to you because you know i uh when we when we listen back to our past Bible studies, which I just now realized last week didn't get on there, but when we listen to past week's Bible studies, uh, one of the things I keep pointing out to you is, is there's several schools of thought when we read the Gospels. And there's the historical Jesus version where the goal was to figure out the actual red letter version of the Bible. And we know without very small certain of doubt, when it's a parable, most likely Jesus is telling it, and that was so important that they passed it on. That's a tradition of Jesus. Uh, when it starts to get institutional, most likely Jesus did not say that, but the church took from Jesus' words this idea. So like I always say, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, this is a priestly insert. In the Gospel writings, this is the writer's uh, editorial comment uh, that we have um, adhere to as this is the word of god and, and like you know, like literally it it's becomes the gospel which is fine you know but we have to remember that jesus also was not a sadducee he was not a pharisee he was he, he, he could have been a rabbi as a pharisee like like person but uh it, he was he was a, a religious leader that was changing the way that we think in the name of god and we believe he was a the son of God or the son of man, or um, even even in Christianity today we struggle with what is it that Jesus really was. Huh? His, title. His title, right, right. We really struggle with that. For us, some of us, it's very clearly defined. For some others, it's it's uh, very ambiguous. We just know we got to follow his footsteps. So, with that being said. Uh, we're starting in verse 32, uh, and the uh, this is the lesson from the fig tree. If you remember pri prior to this, he curses a fig tree. I want to make sure that I tell you when. It's in chapter uh, 21. He curses the fig tree, um, and now he's going to tell you the lesson of this. So in verse 32 of chapter 24. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, very eschatological the world coming to an end um 
And then, uh, but about that day, an hour, no one knows. Um, neither the angels of heaven nor the sun, but only the father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Um, listen to that language. So so too will the coming of the Son of Man. Is that the Son of Man? No, I'm broken. I'm broken. So yeah, so it's the Son of Man. Um, then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day the Lord, your Lord is coming. Now, is that your Lord? Is that Kyrios? Okay. But, uh, so it's heavenly Lord. That's, that's why I'm making a big deal out of this. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what part of the night... Uh, the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and would not have left his house, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Oh, he from the what we call kleptomania today. Yeah. It's funny. Is he saying, <coughs> is he saying like the two women of one will be taken, one will stay from one will walk away. Is he saying that one of the two women is going to be accepted? Or who he is? Or he never listened to? Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's a, somebody's going to be right, somebody's going to be wrong. Uh, And I and I and I love I love the language, the eschatological language throughout this whole thing. Uh, that you know it's it's coming. It's not today. It's not tomorrow. But it will be coming. Um, but he doesn't know it's time. Did y'all catch that? Yeah. Only your father knows that. Um, I think this is one of those. I've been having a lot of conversations with Brett Nation here lately. He's he's, he's going to graduate school, he's, and he's he's been talking uh, with his professors about specifically the Book of Revelation. And and uh, in the Assembly of God Church, there's there's a lot of conversation about the Book of Revelation. And the fascinating thing is, is that as I've been listening to him, it's it's reminding me of these apocalyptic literature pieces throughout the whole New Testament, and this is one of those. Right, so uh, the where the where the Protestants came to with this understanding of the end of time, remember it's always the end of an age, not the end of time. That implies that God is going to uncreate everything that God has created. God doesn't do that. God clears the deck, if you will, and starts over, like the story of Noah. But then God said, "I'm never doing that again." Like, and then therefore God's can't break a promise like this that ruins everything about it. Where I'm going with this is in this passage of scripture, as well as in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus himself says, We do not I don't even know the time or the place when this is going to take place. You're supposed to live as if it's today. That means that you're supposed to, as today, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to love your enemy. You're supposed to forgive. You're supposed to supposed to do these things regardless of the end of time. Did you catch that part of these things? It's that's not the message almost, and it's like gotta be prepared. That's right. You gotta be ready. And and, it, and and there's there's not really a way to do that except for doing what God has asked you to do. So you've got to be prepared in the sense that God could come tomorrow, but even then you still gotta do the right things. There's two kinds of surprise. There's the good kind of surprise where you were expecting maybe something good to happen, then it right. happened, you're like, yeah. And then there's the bad where you're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that's what he's implying here. This is the oh no moment. Uh, right, 
And that's where the two in the field will be, the two in the grinding, the just there's this idea of everyday things that we know we're supposed to be doing. What you have heard this used is as a this uh Barbie Nelson will use this as a um, this is a rapture-like passage. This is this is where these are taken up. Uh, this is not that. I'm just not I don't I can certainly that. see that though. In sure. Life, someone would see that. Yeah. yeah, you can see where they're coming from, but this is not this is not a rapture moment. Word rapture is not used in the New Testament at all. It's something that was Dr. Pittman to tell you it's it's a uh, it's it's a word that Darby came up with <clears throat> to explain where these people went, which is a good term, you know. Uh, but since then we he got he got carried away. I don't think that was his intent to be so so focused in on those things. So uh, let's keep going. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his masters put in charge of his household? To give to to give the other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time. Blessed is the slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will put the one in charge of all of his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, "My master is delayed," and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour that he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and put him in with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, none of us want to do that. And, and notice, notice that the uh, there's a direct slam on the Roman people there. Uh, they're, they're known as being drunkards. They're known as not doing this. They're known as being lazy. The slave does all of the work for them. Um, Right, right. And then to think that the slave that's the head of the household decides to act like that, right? Like that's, well, good luck. My chance. Yeah. Peace out. It's nice knowing you. There's going to be, you're going to be cut up. And then somebody said, cut them in pieces. Yes. Uh, and I think. Cut in two parts. That caught. That caught. Nice. We'll be cut into two parts and put in with the hypocrites where they will be weeping and gnashing at you. Again, my favorite passage, the whole, that's, it's the greatest, right? Yeah. So we could use it for everything. <laughs> and is that and what it really said? Yes, yes. weeping and gnashing it okay. too. And the, the word gnashing is rupos, rupos, which is root separate, another is that thing that you grind your teeth. Right. It's a, it's a tradition. It's it's a it's a, it's it's a cool grinding, actually. Yeah, it's, I always remembered it as grinding, but I like I gnashing. Think it was gnashing. I think in the King James it was probably gnashing. Yeah, I think we just kept it because it, it it just sounds better. Works both <laughs> it sounds ways. Better. It just does. It sounds yeah. worse. So yeah, and and it's just it's just the coolest phrase to use in the Bible of all time. <laughs> I heard a story once. It's not a long story, hopefully, but. There's a story about these two teenage boys whose parents wanted them to practice their piano. And uh, they would always make them start to play their practice their piano. And then the mother would go off to go to the grocery store. And she had a bad muffler on her car, so they knew when she was leaving because they would hear she was going away. And as soon as they heard that sound, they knew it was okay to play whatever kind of music they wanted. So they stopped practicing their scales. They started playing Beatles songs and all this stuff and having a good time until they heard and they knew that their mom was coming back and then it changed right back immediately. Oh, that's good. So she never knew what she was doing. But in, in his little story, he said, but Jesus doesn't have a bad muscle. You're <laughs> <laughs> not going to know. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that actually works for this next part. Uh, no, not really. But I'm going to say, <laughs> I was trying. I was like, yeah, no, they can't go there. But it does kind of work with the weeping and national team that we don't know what happens. But uh, so 
So now we're going to get into parables. And he's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 25 starts off like this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Whenever he says that, you want to pay attention. Like it's it's uh it's gonna be like this, and it, and it goes into an interesting dialogue. For example, ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, look! Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids uh, got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Bridesmaids uh, is translated virgins. Yeah, so I was wondering, like, it's, it's supposed to be virgins. It's a parable of the ten virgins. It's Interesting. Uh, I mean, it. This this is. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Be prepared. Hey, Boy Scouts. It's right? Boy Scout yeah. Yeah. This is it. If you don't have oil for the camp out, you're it's on your own. You have to learn how to make a fire. You know, with the sticks and the piece of rope. I don't know. That this is this is that thing. Like this is a. And 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 notice notice how the five unwise leave. Right. So there's there's a direct correlation to this. We know that there were tribes that left Israel. Like they weren't paying attention. They didn't care about it being the holy city. They're, I mean, Jerusalem. They left Jerusalem. Uh, we know that there were people that left the faith. Um, we knew that there were people that were not going to follow Jesus. But they went and got, this is the other part that's interesting, that they also went and got oil, even though they knew they weren't going to be there at the right time. Um, but then they came back, let us in, let us in, and, and Jesus, well, the person said, I don't know who you are. Obviously, this is a metaphor, allegory, that, that we don't know who's going to be there. Okay. I mean, so there's an olive tree right there. Maybe I could go mash up some olives and get some olive oil. Yeah, I'm using my Rather than going all the way back to, you know, the where it's a small house. Yeah. Besides, it's the middle of the night. Right. Right. Yes. There is a lot of this story that is rather foolish. Yeah. Well, uh, I really wish I'd, I'd bought one. Uh, I really, I have thought, I've really been upset with myself ever since I came back. The only thing I wish I'd have bought. Uh, I wish I had bought a lamp. Um, the lamps are so interesting there that you could see why they would last a really long time. So the fact, so this is also supposed to be absurd, like because the the way these things look, you know, if, if you see the images of Aladdin's lamp, it's just, yeah, it's long, it's long. right? And so this 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 is they're usually about that that the. Uh, they're about four inches, and that's more like six inches long, and they're about three inches wide, and they're only about two inches tall. But if you think about that, you fill that full of oil, and you light it on one end, and it just sits there and burns all day. That's yeah. There's a wick. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. There's a wick in there, but that but that 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 could last all day long, uh, and, and the oil just goes forever. So it, it's amazing to me, and I, I and I've just 
I beat myself up every day since because I didn't buy one when I was there because it, it I never thought of how small they really were. Um, huh? Well, that'd be cool. The, the, so, the, so, the, well, that, that's the one thing I wish I'd have bought because it's a really good teaching tool, even at, at the absurdity of this story. Like nobody's going to run out of oil. Like that's the one thing that everybody needs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Half full lamp or whatever. I can see people doing that. People who aren't prepared, you know, just grab. Yeah. I always thought it just says E. Yeah. I got another twenty more. Means enough. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's the funny part about this story is. The absurdity of running out of oil is also weird uh, because they just really wouldn't. It's the one thing that they need the most. Of. You have to cook with it. You have to use it to light. I mean, it's, if you heat the house, it's more good. It's a thing, you know. So for them not to have it, there's an absurdity here. And notice that Jesus. Well, sorry, the the person, the, the bridegroom, doesn't let him back into the house. Yeah. Right. So this is you leave. You're not prepared anyway. You're on your own. I'm not going to. It's like an after prom party. You've left. You're on your own, buddy. Um, and, and so keep away. You know neither the day nor the hour. So then, interestingly enough, it goes right into the parable of the talents. So here it goes. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. We never talk about that. Then he was. Then he went away. The one who received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had made who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with him. The one who had received the five talents came forth, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you have handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy. Is that duos? Peace day. Peace day. So it's serving, right? Oh, you're talking about serving. Yes. Do uh, late. So it is slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things and enter into the joy of our master. And the one with the two talents came forward saying, Master, you've handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been uh, trusting, trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many Enter into the joy of our master. Then the one who received the, the one talent came also forward, saying, Master, I knew not that you were a harsh, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground, and here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to invest my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth <laughs> uh so i never much like that story and we've never had it we've never had it in 25 years in sme class because if we had it i would have marked through you know some of these words i would have checked and they would have said something a little bit different uh -huh. there's not a mark on those pages so i've not done it with the lexicon 
But we don't like it. No, no, nobody likes it. Harsh. Oh yeah, yeah. that's on purpose. <laughs> it's his justification, but that also should be his justification to his yeah. Justification. yeah, I mean, remember, Matthew is the only gospel that at the end of the, the, the book, it says, go therefore into all the nations, preaching, teaching, and baptizing in my name, knowing that I will be with you till the end of the age, right? Or at the age. Matthew's the only one that gives you this at the end of the book, a mission. Here's your mission. You've been given this, all of these things. When I die, when I resurrect and I ascend into heaven, it's now your job. You have the choice whether you want to hide it under, for lack of a better phrase, hide it under a bushel, or are you going to go out and spread the word of, or the gospel of God in the name of Jesus Christ into the world? And, and this is also a slam on the, in, in the empire. The empire was known for uh Pushing people to make more money for the empire. So they make it not theirs. It's taking the place not theirs. So, as you struggle with the hardness of this, or as I do, I try to think of that. I know God is love. God loves us. The, the scriptures tell us that. So if someone loves us but is hard on us from time to time, why is that? What is the, the reason? It's almost there has to be a reason. It says all the way through that God disciplines those he loves. Discipline. Yeah, I think that, that, that teaching, you know, I mean, that's when someone loves you and they're far on you, it usually means because you're trying to teach you. That's, that's what I've picked up in my lifetime. <laughs> it's a learning moment. There's no eternal investment in, of Jesus' sacrifice, basically. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you 100%. This is, a, this is a call to action uh, more than uh, a slam. Um, so, like, even Dr. Carter, he has a whole page just on this one section, but this is the part I wanted to read to you. He says, it seems that, that again, the gospel has co-opted dominant cultural values in picturing the establishment of God's empire. God's empire imitates rather than provides an alternative. So there's the investment conversation that Aaron and I would have to this, but uh, in which the wealthy and powerful become even more so at the expense of the rest. So co-option is not surprising, given that the gospel's author is a creator of his cultural context. But perhaps has happened in the emphatic exhortation to the disciples is to be faithful and active slaves of Jesus until his return so dominates the shape of the story that the larger issues are neglected. The audience experiences a group of compliant slaves who materially and socially benefit their master is assumed in order to exemplify faithful discipleship. But no critique of that socioeconomic stature or structure or of the particular activities is given. The exhortation to faithful discipleship uh, is the critique of the parable's contact from the larger gospel context. The parable falls into four readily identifiable scenes. The master entrusts property and then goes away. Lives and dies. The slaves attend to their responsibilities. The third is the master returns and rewards two of the slaves. And in the fourth, well, in the fourth section would be when he's violent and he punishes, or as we commonly said, disciplines the third. So this is, there's a, it's, it's not a happy passage. There, and, and I think Dr. Carter gave us a little bit of a, 
gives us a little bit of an insight as to why it's in there, but it's not necessarily what we want to hear Jesus say. And remember what I told you. If Jesus is going to talk to us, historically, it's in the form of a parable. Interestingly enough, the Jesus Seminar, I think, if I remember correctly, and I left the book in my office, uh, I think they were split on this one. Um, like, when they sat down together and they said, well, we think Jesus said this, or we don't think he said this. Um, I think the group of scholars, and this is a lot of scholars, by the way, it's not just like one or two people. I think they all kind of were half and half. Because this sounds institutional, right? This doesn't sound like Jesus, but then the other half of it, it, it does sound like Jesus. There's an eschatological portion to this, but it's a little bit more complex than what Jesus did with the ten virgins. Um, so there's there's a little bit of controversy to this. Yes, it's not something that we like to preach and teach from. Uh, I think I have preached this passage, but I've always preached it in the sense of preparation, doing the right thing, living a life that's supposed to be in the footsteps of Jesus, you know, it's hard. We don't like it. Uh, we also specifically don't like the punishment part of this Christ. So that guy that was trying to be helpful, well, he thought he was going to get hurt He's either trying way. To be safe. Trying to be safe. This is, this is not, this is not the Jesus that we learned about, right? Jesus is well. He didn't ask ever ask anybody to say. There you go. I thought Jesus was like this loving hippie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Come on, man. Give me a hug. It's okay. It's okay. You didn't do anything that talent, man. Just I'm gonna give you a hug. Right. Right. Everything's all right. That's right. And, and and the words that came out of his mouth are like daggers. I mean, other than that, yeah, you know. yeah, participation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a participation. I, I mean, obviously, you grew up in the seventies. <laughs> yes, I did. What can I say? <laughs> so there's there's a little bit of a different Jesus here, um, and 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 I think I'm going to go with Sally's idea. Jesus never says it's supposed to be safe. Um, you, you realize that everything that up to this point, if you follow this, so Jesus dies, right? He's he's gone, res, rose, and is, you're just left with what's left over. And you're supposed to be preparing everybody on earth. And you're not doing it. Uh, this is treason to Rome. If you're, if you're going around telling people about the empire of God and our emperor Jesus, this is treason. But what Jesus is doing is, is he's challenging you to do that and not necessarily play it safe. This is your call to arms. This is your stand up for what it is that you believe. So it's not, it, it even goes past the investment side. It's even to the point of, I would, I would argue that in some senses, there was at some point historically this, this call to make people want to um, be martyrs in the name of God through Jesus Christ. Well, of his disciples. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they just, they didn't, they didn't back down. They did not play it safe. Right. And this is the word That's it. And I it's it's uncomfortable. We, we don't like it. We don't like talking about works either, you know. I mean yeah. this, these are two parables where people are it's based on what they do, what they did, what didn't they? Well, it's funny that we have, we're having this conversation because right after this, he judges all the nations. This is what you all He's wrong. throwing everybody under the bus. Here you go. <laughs> Let's get the license plates of that bus that ran over the top of us. In verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory uh, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered, I added, and sorry, gathered before him and he will separate people from one another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those at the right hand, notice that Jesus has now gone from son of man to, to king. Uh, the king will say to those at his right hand, come that you are that are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you in the evening? were hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you, uh, a stranger, and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited to you? Okay, so now I'm, I'm going to say this because I don't necessarily like this translation, but it's, we're going to get there. And the king will answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family. What's that word there? That's right brothers you did it to me then he will say to those at his left hand you that are accursed depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for i was hungry you gave me no food i was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink i was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison and you did not visit me then you will they will also answer lord when was it that you saw saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you. Then he will answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishments, punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Uh, so this passage, um, it also hasn't been an SMB class. Yeah, no, no, we don't. This, this is not something that we preach usually or teach. Uh, this, this is a, this is a, a problematic passage, but then it's not. Uh, if you all remember that in the Gospel of Luke, it's a lot nicer than this. There's not a judgment passage of this at all, right? There's just a when you do this, you do this in, in the name of uh, of me, and you take care of those. Well, when when should we have done it? When you do it to the least. No, no, there was none. You're going to burn in hell if you don't do it right. This is why we don't preach this one. That's this right. is why we don't teach it. And this is why I always talk about how we have a homogenized understanding of the Gospels. We never read this passage, really. That's uh, holy meaning of being called a goat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I got a hold <laughs> Goats, are they clean animals or unclean animals? Uh, for them, uh, they're clean. I think they're clean. Yeah, yeah they're clean. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think it's important that we talk about this because um, right before this, he talks about the talents. You're supposed to live a life that produces fruit, right? That's that's what it, Matthew, Matthew, I want to be very clear about this. This is this is where it gets dangerous when you start to take one text and you preach only this text. Matthew's text is very apocalyptic in the sense that when Jesus dies and he comes back as the new emperor, right? This the world's going to be different. There's a big focus in on this. Luke's gospel is not this way. It's it's a little bit more comforting. Mark Mark doesn't know what to do with this at all. He's just like, man, I, I just, I'm just terrified that Jesus died. Like, I don't know what we're doing. The world's ending. The flipping temple just got destroyed in our very eyes. What are we supposed to do? That's Mark. Like, he's written in grief and trauma. Matthew's had some time to process this. By the time you get to Luke, uh, they've had time to process it. They're starting to create what we would call church today. Um how long after was Luke written from Matthew? About about 10 to 15 years, depending on who you talk to. I've heard anywhere from 10 to 20 years, but really we know it's closer to the end of the first century. Uh, and there's some reasons for that that we have just kind of found in the last 30 or 40 years of study of anthropology, but um, with archaeological finds. Um, so Mark, we know, is probably written between 65 and 75. So there's obviously something going on there. So I'm, I'm saying this to you because the judgment here is not really the judgment that we're taking. It's the least of these conversations. Now, this is, this is my soapbox that I'm going to make this morning. In the first century, they were all the least of these. 
This is the problem. In the 21st century, the church has made the least of these, those that are on the lower end of the socioeconomic status, or uh, somebody that's just not like this. And is that globally, or is that more, more so in the United States? I would say the United States. The United States. Okay. Yeah, globally, the least of these, they're, they're still thinking they're the least. You know, uh, you go to different countries. Like I, when I was in Nicaragua, you know, they're just culturally poor, like financially. Like they're just, this is just who they are. And they're those that have money, and then there's the rest of us. Um, usually the president is going to have all the money, and the government's going to have all the money. But us that live here in the in the villages, we, we don't have anything. So we just try to make it work. Um, also, very highly educated communities. You have doctors and lawyers and dentists living inside a, a village that has no electricity or running water because there aren't any jobs. You know, I mean, and so so there's this there's this vast difference than our understanding of least of these. You want to think back at that socioeconomic status that we talked about several, several weeks ago. The top 3% of the people had everything. And then 97% had nothing. And they were striving for trying to have just a piece. So when Jesus says this, it's a slam on the fact that what we do have, we should be sharing. So there isn't anybody that's starving. So there isn't anybody without clothes because there's no reason we have, we have just enough that we can take care of our neighbor. Um, this is a, a cultural concept here that we don't really talk about enough. Um, and I think this is, this is kind of fascinating. And, and I do like the fact that the way that Matthew does it in the sense of, and because you're not taking care of your neighbor, uh, shame on you. Like you're, you might as well just burn in hell. Like it's, <laughs> there should be weeping and gnashing. Shame on you for not taking care of your neighbor. I was say that the, the ugly part of this is really for the rich people, for the That's people right. that have everything. That's right. I mean, even though it's whatever, mm -hmm. but it's like you say, it's telling us that those that have it should share it. Yeah. Yeah. No, did I tell you all about the? The neat thing that they keep finding it, um, where was Pompeii, the, the bread maker that they found in Pompeii? Did I tell you all about this? You yeah. said that there was a lot going on over there. So there's, a, there's an interesting find that we've had in the, I should say we, the, the archaeologists have found in Pompeii of the, this lower class, which is everybody, right? <laughs> there's a bread maker. They found a whole bread maker's house, um, had a couple rooms off to the side that one was obviously a bar. Uh, which is a room, right? Like and it has a bar. And then there was obviously jars on the inside where there were alcohol. So remember, this was perfectly preserved after Mount Vesuvius blew up. So the, the bread maker has this huge oven. Um, and I say huge, it's probably the width of this table and it's probably about that tall and it's got the funnel up over, but it's big enough to cook, I don't know, 20, 30 loaves of bread at a time. And inside there, they found loaves of bread that had been cooked and they had these coins on each of the loaves of bread stuck in the middle. Well, what you would do is, is you would have this one coin and this was your coin for your loaf, loaf of bread. And so you would come in, you'd give them the money to pay for it, and then they'd put their your coin in the loaf of bread so they would know which one was yours. And so, um, but there's plenty of flour and grain to make plenty of loaves of bread. So what the bread makers were doing uh, was they were only they were only making loaves of bread for those that paid and that had their own coin. But if, if you've got extra and you've got plenty, that's the shame on you moment. That person could have made a couple extra loaves of bread and fed a family of four. That's that's Torah, where you're supposed to take care of your widows and your orphans. This is, this is uh, the fascinating thing for me is this, as we're talking about Pompeii is that's a perfect example of what was happening all over Galilee and in, in Israel, that, that there's this, these lower income people weren't even just trying to take care of one another, right? Because they couldn't see, 
well, if I made an extra loaf of bread and you just happen to be the one that makes cheese, what if we swapped, right? And, or what if we, we did this thing where you take your loaf of cheese and oh, kind of like the feeding of the 5,000 and you take your fish and you have your cheese and we sit together in a field and we feed everybody. And when there's so much left over, there's like 12 baskets left over. Um, that's the imagery that Jesus is portraying right here. This judgment of the nations. You had the opportunity, you could have done it the right way, and you chose not to. So because you didn't, have fun in hell. Like, I mean, I, I don't mean to be crass about it, but that's that's really where he's where he's at with this. Um, and he's saying it to all of those that are listening. So this isn't just now. We, we tend to believe he's just talking to the disciples. Like this is the idea, but those that are reading this for the very first time are going, oh, um, oh, really? Um, he says, Mark, Dr. Card says, it bullies disciples into faithfulness. It celebrates the imposition of God's empire while the gospel criticizes imperial strategies. It upholds God's justice, but the vision of harsh condemnation is at odds with the presentation of God's inclusive mercy. And with the acknowledgement of God's covenant faithfulness to save Israel, this is in direct contrast. Well, we're going to stop there because after this, we get into the, the that passion narrative. Yeah, so so there's then there becomes this, okay, well, you said that. Well, guess what? Now we're going to kill you. Um, we'd like to see you try to get against us. Um, so we'll begin again next week at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. I'm going to stop the recording.